This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Welcome to Hidden History, and Odyssey Through Time. I'm your host, John Rodriguez, and this is episode 20 of the Best History Podcast North of New York City. The title of this episode is From Educator to Savior, The Extraordinary Story of Lois Gundon. Before we begin, we here at Hidden History would like to give a quick shout out to the podcast of the month of July over at the Deluxe Edition Network, our podcast network. The two podcasts are called Growing Up Bananas and IAP Radio. Growing Up Bananas is a podcast that gives you a glimpse into the puzzling lives of Asians in Australia, while IAP Radio is a podcast dedicated to the less glamorous side of sports. You can find these great podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow them on Instagram. Thanks for listening, and now let's get to the episode. In 1941, 26-year-old Lois Gundon, an American French teacher from Goshen, Indiana, traveled to southern France at the request of the Mennonite Central Committee with the hope of being able to improve the lives of Spanish child refugees. Following the Spanish Civil War of 1937 through 1940, Spanish refugees had fled to southern France and were unable to return to Spain without reprisal from Francisco Franco, the dictator of Spain. Far from home, Lois could not have imagined that she would soon be thrust into a position to save another group of child refugees, Jewish children who were in danger of being deported and murdered at Auschwitz. From saving the lives of children to being arrested and held prisoner by Nazi Germany for over a year, it was Lois Gundon's faith in God that gave her the strength and courage to do what many others wouldn't. In a letter she wrote home in October 1942, Lois made it clear that without God, she would have been lost in her mission in France. And had she been lost, who knows how many Jewish boys and girls would have been sent to the gas chambers at Auschwitz. Lois's story, hidden history that has remained long forgotten, is the story of a young American woman's journey to Europe in the midst of a global war and a German dictatorship set on the physical annihilation of every single man, woman, and child of the Jewish faith. Lois Mary Gundon was born on February 25, 1915 in Flanagan, Illinois to Christian and Agnes Gundon. The Gundon family were Mennonites and Lois was the second of nine children born to Christian and Agnes. Sometimes mistaken for Amish, Mennonites are a group of Christians that formed during the Protestant Reformation, a religious reform movement that swept through Europe in the 1500s. 
Mennonites hold a strong belief in peace, justice, and non-resistance. The group believes that God's peace is, quote, most fully revealed in Jesus Christ, and they are responsible for following Christ, quote, in the way of peace, doing justice, bringing reconciliation, and practicing non-resistance even in the face of violence and warfare. Those beliefs would play a strong part in Lois's future, especially during World War II, but let's not get ahead of ourselves just yet. By 1930, Lois and her family had moved to Goshen, Indiana, where seven of the nine Gundan children would earn degrees from Goshen College. Lois was one of them, receiving her bachelor's degree in 1936 at Goshen College, and three years later in 1939, she received her master's degree from Peabody College. Having majored in French, she took a position at Goshen College teaching the language that same year. It should be noted that while Lois's educational accomplishments are quite impressive, at the time it may have been viewed in a negative way. You see, the basic assumption in the 1930s was that women should marry. There was also the perception that college-educated women were less likely to marry, either because they waited too long or because the college experience which brought in their minds deluded them into believing, quote, marriage should be between equals. However, none of this mattered to Lois Gundon. She was a motivated, educated woman who placed her trust in God's plan for healing the earth and bringing peace and justice to its people, even if that plan for healing and peace was about to collide with the world war. On September 1, 1939, Nazi Germany invaded Poland and began World War II. Britain and France stood by their guarantee of Poland's border and declared war on Germany on September 3, 1939. On September 17, 1939, the Soviet Union, Germany's ally, invaded eastern Poland, sealing Poland's fate. The country officially surrendered to the Germans on September 28, 1939. After Poland's defeat, Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union divided the country, but Hitler wasn't done with Europe just yet. Set on global conquest, by April and early May 1940, Nazi Germany had invaded and occupied Denmark and Norway, and then turned their attention to France. On May 10, 1940, Hitler invaded Belgium, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, and France. By June 14th, Paris had fallen to the Nazis, and by the end of the month, France was defeated. An armistice was signed on June 22, 1940, and France was divided into a German-occupied zone in the north and a French-governed zone in the south, also known as Vichy, which collaborated with the Germans and had certain authority also in the German-occupied zone. Strong anti-Jewish measures were placed in both the northern and southern zones of France. For example, a law was passed on October 4, 1940 that allowed for the detainment of Jews of foreign nationality. By February of 1941, 40,000 foreign Jews were detained in camps of the unoccupied zone alone. Three arrest opera operations in the occupied zone throughout 1941 led to the detainment of close to 9,000 Jews in camps of the occupied zone, most of foreign nationality. Over time, these camps would claim the lives of some 3,000 Jews, the first victims of the Holocaust in France. In 
In October 1941, less than two months before Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, 26-year-old Lois Gundon was ready to start her third year of teaching French at Goshen College when she was invited by MCC, the Mennonite Central Committee, to head to southern France, just 30 miles north of the Spanish border, for World War II relief efforts. Lois had never been involved with overseas relief work before and had never been to Europe, but she spoke French and the Mennonite Central Committee needed someone willing to place herself in danger to help others. Gundon was willing. At the time, Lois lived at home in Goshen with her parents, grandmother, and eight siblings. This invitation by the MCC was just what she needed and she quickly accepted the offer. With the hindsight of history, it seems difficult to imagine why church leaders would even consider sending a 26-year-old woman on such a mission. But at the time Lois left the United States in October 1941, it was generally perceived by the U.S. government and American popular opinion that Vichy France was a legitimate state separate from Nazi Germany and German-occupied northern France. As she was getting ready to sail for Europe, Lois received a telegram from Goshen College. Quote, Faculty and students send greetings and wish you bon voyage. Our message is Psalms 121. Ernest E. Miller, President. For those of you listening who are interested, Psalms 121 is, quote, I will lift up mine eyes onto the hills from whence cometh my help. Lois left New York City on October 4, 1941, aboard a passenger ship with several relief worker companions. The following day, Lois wrote the following in her diary, quote, it was a bit exciting when the gangplank was pulled in at the pier and the last cable was pulled in and the blast from the boat horn, or whistle maybe, indicated that we were getting underway. We stood on the top deck and waved back at the figures waving to us from the last door on the pier. After we could no longer see the people on the pier, we watched the Statue of Liberty looking at us as we passed by. During her time in France, Lois kept a diary and described her activities, in which she proved great courage, cleverness, and intuition. Thousands of miles away from home and the safety of the United States, Lois would become the rescuer of children of a different nationality, religion, and background. On October 22nd, Lois began work in Canet Plage at Villa St. Christophe, a 20-room summer home located on the Mediterranean beach. The home held 60 children, ranging in age from toddlers to teenagers, and at the time Lois arrived, the majority of them were Spanish refugees. Their parents had fought on the losing side of the Spanish Civil War and were imprisoned in French internment camps, leaving the children without guardians. Many of the Spanish children were severely malnourished and so Lois and the other workers at the home, many of whom were refugees themselves, patiently nursed the children back to health. Lois was also in charge of overseeing a food distribution program in several outlying villages near the villa. The villa was located about 12 miles away from the Nazi internment camp of Riversaltz and received between 20 to 60 children from the refugee camp for several months at a time so that the children could regain their health from the harsh realities of life in a camp. Once the children were back on their feet, they would return to their families in the camp. 
Then another set of 20 of the most vulnerable Spanish children would be placed in the children's home to regain their health. Lois recognized that most of these children were traumatized by their experiences. She appreciated every opportunity to, quote, add just another ray of love to the lives of these youngsters who have already experienced so much of the miseries of life. Lois described her first visit to Rivesaltz on November 18, 1941. Quote, Outstanding and unforgettable memories of day. Braveness of boys when they discovered they were leaving without parents. Sight of bunks with people sitting hunchbacked on them. Dirty and bare kitchen. Provisions only for one day. Eagerness with which children drank milk. Possibility for terrible cold when wind blows. The camp at River Salts truly was a horrific place housing 8,000 people without adequate food, water, shelter, or sanitation. Death by starvation or disease was a daily occurrence in the camp. World War II came to the United States of America on Sunday morning, December 7, 1941, with a massive surprise attack by the Imperial Japanese Navy. Like a thunderclap from a clear sky, Japanese carrier attack planes in both torpedo and high-level bombing rolls and bombers supported by fighters, numbering 353 aircraft from six aircraft carriers, attacked the U.S. Pacific Fleet at Pearl Harbor in two waves as well as nearby naval and military airfields and bases. Sailors, marines, and soldiers fought back with extraordinary courage, often at the sacrifice of their own lives. Those without weapons to fight took great risks to save wounded comrades and to save their ships. Pilots took off to engage Japanese aircraft despite the overwhelming odds. Countless acts of valor went unrecorded as many witnesses died in the attack. More than 2,400 Americans died during the attack on Pearl Harbor, including civilians, and another 1,000 people were wounded. On December 8th, as America's Pacific Fleet lay in ruins at Pearl Harbor, President Franklin D. Roosevelt, leaning heavily on the arm of his son James, a Marine captain, walked haltingly into the House of Representatives at noon to request a declaration of war from the House and to address the nation via radio. Quote, Yesterday, the president proclaimed, December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. No matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. Roosevelt's 10-minute speech, ending with an oath, so help us God, was greeted in the house by thunderous applause and stamping of feet. Within one hour, the president had his declaration of war and signed it at 4.10 p.m., wearing a black armband to symbolize mourning for those lost at Pearl Harbor. That same day, Lois wrote a letter home, which included the following, quote, this morning when I came out, they showed me the headlines in the paper, which declared that Japan and the United States were at war. It is too bad that at a time when people are preparing for the holiday, which marks the advent of him who came to bring peace on earth and goodwill among men, still more people should be plunged into war.
After arriving in France, it soon became clear to Lois that the French government was collaborating with Germany. A part of the French collaboration was sending Jewish people to Germany and then they were sent further east to concentration camps. The Spanish refugee camp of Riversaltz had been turned into an internment camp, mainly for Jews. So just as the crisis of the Spanish refugees was slowly ending, the realities of World War II were encroaching upon the life of the children's home. In 1942, Lois turned the home into a safe haven for Jewish children when the German authorities demanded more and more Jews be deported to Eastern Europe. Originally, the assumption was that once the children were in better health, they would leave the villa and return to the internment camp, but once Lois knew the plans of the, of the Nazis, she kept the Jewish children hidden away. Being fluent in French gave her the skills for dealing with the French police, who were trying, often reluctantly, to arrest Jewish children. The relationship between the French police, local French community leaders, and the German authorities was often fraught with complexity. The French police and community leaders expressed great respect for the work and spirit of Lois and MCC. Lois also had some help from the American Friends Service Committee, a Quaker aid organization, along with the help of a local French Jewish children's aid organization. One Jewish child saved from certain death from the nearby internment camp was a girl named Jeanette Drucker Kalish, born 1930, from Paris. Under increasing pressure from Germany, the French Vichy government agreed to deport 60,000 French Jews to the concentration camps. Those already in camps in unoccupied Vichy France, such as Rivesaltz, were deported to Drancy, a transit camp in occupied France. From Drancy, they were deported to Auschwitz. One of the men, one of the men sent to Auschwitz was Jeanette's father, but she and her mother managed to hide from the police. They fled to the south of France but were caught on the train and were eventually taken to Riversaltz. It was there that Lois Gundon approached Jeanette's mother and pleaded with her to let her take the child out of the camp. The mother was hesitant at first, but when Gundon convinced her that Jeanette would be safer under her care, she agreed to part from her child. Quote, At the time I was 12 years old and certainly scared, Jeanette Kalish later told Yad Vashem, Israel's official memorial to the victims of the Holocaust. But Lois Gundon was kind and passionately determined to take me and these other Jewish children out of River Salts to protect them from harm. I remember Lois Gundon being kind and generous and she made a special effort to integrate us with the other children. None of the other children were told that we were Jewish. In the deportations of August, September, and early October 1942, if children under the age of 16 were not in the camps with a parent, they often weren't searched out, particularly if French officials knew they could already meet their quota for the scheduled transports. Lois now understood the importance of moving as many Jewish children out of the camps and into the villa as possible. Despite great personal peril, during 1942, Lois smuggled several dozen Jewish children out of the Nazi internment camp Riversaltz and saved them from certain death at Auschwitz. As Lois and her staff soon learned, many of the children who came to hide in the children's home were, were already deeply fearful and had been instructed by their parents on how to keep from being discovered to be Jewish. After the boys adamantly refused to remove their pants for bed and to take baths, 
Lois realized that their parents had firmly directed them not to let anyone see that they, that they had been circumcised as Jews. The children's home continued providing a hiding place, but also was under the eye of the French police, who were searching for Jews. Lois wrote in her diary about a September 1942 visit by the French police to the children's home. Quote, in the afternoon, two policemen called asking me to get the Landsman children ready in an hour's time. That rather upset the others who had come at the same time, because they are afraid of what may be happening to their parents. Jeanette has never heard from her mother. I'm afraid for her. After getting all their clothes out of washing process in basement, waited for them until 10 o'clock. The children the police were looking for were Louis, Armand, and Monique Landsman. Lois said the children would not return until noon. At noon, the policemen appeared again and told Lois to pack up the children's belongings and prepare them for departure. This time, Lois said that their clothing were being laundered and would not be dry until late afternoon. All through that day, Lois prayed for wisdom and guidance and for the safety of the three children, and the officer never returned. The children were saved. Like the Hebrew midwives in Egypt, Lois protected and hid the Jewish children in her children's home. Day after day and week after week, she made excuses why none of her Jewish children could be taken from the children's home and deported to concentration camps. Through her efforts, Lois, at great personal risk, saved all the Jewish children that came through the villa. In her last letter home, dated October 31st, 1942, Lois had the following to say, quote, But my year's experience in relief work over here has taught me more than ever that one has to live only a day at a time, and that God's faithfulness towards those who put their trust in Him can be counted upon for the experiences of each day as it comes bringing its particular problems. I know that without the assurance of his abiding presence and his, and his sustaining help, I would feel lost in an impossible tangle of circumstances. On November 10, 1942, German troops took over Vichy, France, which had previously been free of an Axis military presence. Once in southern France, the Nazis continued the ongoing actions to arrest Jews and deport them to their extermination. Lois who was away from Villa St. Christophe at the time, arranged for her colleagues to continue to care for the children and move them to safety. In preparation for her impending arrest, Lois turned the leadership of the children's home over to a French Christian, Roger George, and left $17,966.16, which is $275,000 today, of MCC funds for him to use in the operation of the home. Two months later, on January 27, 1943, the police arrested Lois. Because she was an American, Germany imprisoned her as the, as the citizen of an enemy nation. She and the other Americans captured in southern France, mainly U.S. diplomats, journalists, and aid workers, were taken to Nazi Germany, where they were held in a resort hotel complex for more than a year until being released as part of a prisoner exchange. Lois and the other Americans arrived in New York City on March 15, 1944. After returning to the United States in March 1944, 
29-year-old Lois went home to Goshen, Indiana and rested for several weeks before she went on a lecture tour and taught Spanish during the summer. In the fall of 1944, Lois resumed her work teaching French at Goshen College and later at Temple University from 1965 to 1975. On June 21, 1958, 43-year-old Lois married a widower, Ernest Clemens, and relocated to eastern Pennsylvania. Although she never had any children of her own, Lois gained a stepdaughter, Pauline, through her marriage. In that same year of 1958, Lois also received her doctorate degree from Indiana University in French. Lois rarely spoke about her wartime experiences and remained active in the Mennonite Church until the end of her life. She also later taught at North Penn High School in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. She served as the first president of the local chapter of the Association of University Women and for many years was active in the American Bible Society, including membership on advisory, advisory council. Along with these involvements, Lois taught English to immigrants in the Lansdale, Pennsylvania community. On July 3, 1997, Lois's husband Ernest died at the age of 97, and eight years later, on August 27, 2005, Lois Gundon Clemens died at the age of 90 in Pennsylvania. While going through her aunt's papers, Lois's niece Mary Jean Gundon came upon Lois's letters and diaries and realized her aunt's remarkable story. Mary Jean later described her aunt as modest and that she rarely spoke about her World War II experiences. Quote, Even in an autobiography written for a family reunion in 1991, she only devoted several sentences to those events, she said. Certainly, it would have been wonderful if her story had been better known during her lifetime. Mary Jean sh shared Lois's story with Yad Vashem, Israel's official memorial to the victims of the Holocaust. And on February 27, 2013, Yad Vashem recognized Lois Gundon as righteous among the nations for saving the lives of Jewish children during World War II. Including Lois, only five Americans have received this honor, Varian Fry, Martha and Wait Still Sharp, and Master Sergeant Roddy Edmonds. Episodes on all of these individuals are available on our website and on all major podcast platforms. During the ceremony held at the Israeli Embassy in Washington, D.C. on January 27, 2016, Lois's niece Mary Jean Gundon accepted the medal and certificate on behalf of her aunt. And President Obama had the following to say about Lois. Would we have the extraordinary compassion of Lois Gundon? She wrote that she simply hoped to add just another ray of love to the lives of these youngsters who had already endured so much. And by housing and feeding as many Jewish children as she could, her ray of love always shone through and still burns within the families of those she saved. Serving others was at the core of who Lois Gundon was. In a 1989 interview with the Philadelphia Inquirer, Lois said, quote, It doesn't matter whether you are male or female, but what matters is the person you are and what you can give to the life of the church and the community. And Lois was right. 
At the end of the day, all that matters is the type of person you are and what you give back into the world. We here at Hidden History hope that this story of an American female hero will inspire others to do some good in the world, especially now more than ever. Thank you for listening and I hope you have learned something new today. Season 2 of Hidden History will explore the lives of victims and heroes of the Holocaust. Many of their stories have been hidden in the pages of history and deserve to be told. Pictures, newspaper clippings, and links to external articles relating to a particular episode will be available on our website. Thanks again for listening. I'm John Rodriguez, and until we meet again, this has been Hidden History, and Odyssey Through Time.